Uh, Pastor Brent, your lay pastor, for those of you who do know me, I'm still your lay pastor Brent. So um, today we're going to finish out a series of Advent. And Advent is a time of anticipation of the coming of Jesus. But in the Advent season also it is the looking forward to his second coming or his return. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, the second coming of Jesus, and um, where our true heaven is. Now, I know some of you are probably in deep mourning, thinking that the heaven here on earth through the Ohio State Buckeyes, that the world came to an end when their winning streak uh, was terminated last night by Clemson. But what I can say is... That doesn't mean anything compared to what is going to come when Jesus comes to take us home. You've also know that I've sometimes been referred to as the grumpy pastor. But I can't be grumpy when I'm talking about the return of Jesus. This is our blessed hope. This is everything we're looking forward to. And so um, I was excited when uh, we, we divvied up the, the sermons for Advent and I got looking for the uh, future. But the Advent, what we looked at was longing for peace, longing for rest, longing for joy. All those were fulfilled with the birth of Jesus. But again, as I said, we're also, part of Advent is looking forward to a second coming. Now, since we are looking at the end times, I do want to make a disclaimer to, to begin with. This is not going to be a subject of eschatology or the study of end times. We're not going to be looking at the rapture. We're not going to be looking at the tribulation. Not going to be looking at the millennium. You know, uh, I'll have to set you straight on that a little later, uh, Mason. So, But um, these are all fascinating. But we are going to look at the conclusion of all of this, or the conclusion of times. And I will say it is fascinating to, to study eschatology and looking at all these. Is it pre-rapture? When's the rapture? And all this. But the final, the final, when he comes, that is what the, where the, the glory is. And it's very clear in scriptures what we're going to go over this morning. When, he's, when the rapture and all that stuff is doesn't matter. When we looked in, uh, what were we in, uh, Colossians, and we looked at the mystery, and the mystery of Christ in us, how that was hidden to the Old Testament saints. There's plenty of scriptures about the end times, but it's not clear cut. And I believe, just as Christ in us was the mystery of the Old Testament, when all these things are going to happen are going to be our somewhat of the mystery of the New Testament. It'll be all crystal clear when it all, when it all um, finally happens. So I know that's probably too long of a, um, of a disclaimer, but I am going to go over a lot of Scripture today. And as you know, on the back of here, we, I really don't have any notes, but um, we're going to do a lot of Scripture because looking at His second coming, we have to look at the very end. We're going to be in, in um, Revelation. But what is happening is the conclusion of everything, and we're going to go back to the beginning. And right in between the beginning and the end, we have all these prophecies. And that's what we're going to be looking at today.
So, we're in Isaiah chapter 65, beginning on verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's a Pew Bible, please use that. We're on page 624. It's really convenient when I, when I bought a... Um, we're, bought this Bible. I didn't even know it, but it's the same company, so my, my numbers are the same, so I can tell you it's 624. I know, a little goofiness. Um, but as I said, there's going to be a lot of Scripture. On your, on your guide, I'll give you time to look at the Scripture. Um, it's going to be a little different sermon in the sense, Scripture backs up Scripture, and throughout the Scripture will teach what the other Scriptures say. And since um, this is prophecy, and if you've ever looked at prophecy, prophecy just bolsters my faith. Because I can look at all these prophecies written over hundreds of years, and that everything comes to a, um, to a fulfillment, to a T. And that just bolsters my faith. So... Uh, again, as we look at all these different scriptures, I'll give you time and just write these down, and hopefully we'll see, not hopefully, we will see a continuous pattern starting from Genesis throughout all scriptures in closing. So many times we look at scriptures and um, we're just looking at the area we're, we're reading at or the sermon series, but it all ties together, and I want you to see, be able to see that this morning. So with that as a background, let's just jump in. I'm going to read through the, uh, the passage. We'll pray and then we'll jump in. Isaiah, chapter 65, starting at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the formal, former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young men shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For there they shall be the offspring of the blessing of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
As we open up your scripture this morning, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit come and be with each and every one of us, Lord. I ask that you open the hearts and open the minds of your people that we may understand what your words say. I ask, Lord, that your words, your words alone, would be spoken through my mouth. And if there was anything that you wish me not to say, that you would strike me dumb. And if there's anything I did not prepare, but your people need to hear, please, through your Holy Spirit, allow it to be proclaimed. Once again, Lord, we just thank you, and we thank you that you sent your Son as we look at this Christmas season. You sent your Son not only to, to be born, but more importantly, to take our sins in his death and then be resurrected in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we need to review with our last several uh, sermons, longing for joy, longing for rest, longing for peace. And then last week when Jamie, uh, we celebrated the actual coming of Jesus. But if, if you remember, each one of those sermons, we started out in, Ge- in Genesis because we need rest, peace, and joy, because we lost all that when Adam sinned against God. The first of the series, you may remember that Jamie said that we are pilgrims groaning for God, longing for joy. Ever since the fall, we're in the in-between. We're going to go back and look at what paradise was, and when man sinned, and it's... um, Man fell and sin entered the world. That separated us from God. And that's what our groaning is about. Our groaning is looking forward to once again that we can be one with God. And that's why we're in the in-between. So since we're in the in-between, we're going to go all the way back and see what that was like. We're going to go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm briefly just going to go through the next two chapters of Genesis. Um, As I said, it all begins in Genesis. Genesis is a wonderful chapter as a Christian to study. It's the basis of everything, and all the answers can also be found in Genesis. So, So after he created, God made everything. He made the heavens, he made the earth, and all that was created. The sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, and it was good. God said all his creation was good. Then God created man, Adam and Eve. God made a garden for food. Now, originally, Adam's job was just to tend the garden and fellowship with God. He said, God said, work the garden and eat of the, eat of the tree. It was truly paradise. And there were two trees, if you remember, in the, in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life. And by partaking of the tree of life, that would allow Adam to live forever. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said you could freely eat of the tree of life, but not of the tree of good and evil. But then along came Satan. And tempted Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she did. And she gave some to Adam. And when Adam ate of the fruit, sin and death entered the world. I do want you to notice that Adam, Eve ate it first, but it wasn't until 
Adam partook of it is when sin entered because Adam's charge was to protect his wife, and he didn't. As a sidebar, all you kids, I know the kids are in here. So if you're in middle school, listen to this. Death entered the world. Until then, there was no death. It's just a little sidebar that I'm passionate about. But we teach our young kids the theory of evolution. And what is the theory of evolution? That the strongest survive. So if I have a genetic trait as an animal that I was born with and it makes me stronger, I can kill other animals and live. How can that be if there was no death? Just a sidebar. Um, The theory of evolution is not compatible with Christianity, so... That was free. We go on. After um, they sinned, God cursed the ground. God cursed Adam, and he had to work for his food. Before he just tended the garden, then he said he would send thorns and thistles, and he had actually work for his food. So men, part of the curse, we are to work. Work is also good. Keeps us out of trouble. God cursed Eve, and God cursed Satan. And we're not going to go over all those, but I am going to go over the part where um, he cursed Satan. And part of this first curse is also the first prophecy. As I said, prophecy is wonderful because you can see it throughout Scripture. But this is the first prophecy of Jesus, and we're in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, um, You notice he said, well, he says, you will be of the dust. In that culture, to be in the dust means to be the lowest of the low. Um, So anyway, so he put a curse on Satan and the serpent, and you're going to eat dust. Now, we're going to get back to that, but in, in Isaiah, it talked about the dust There again, fulfilling the prophecy. But the first prophecy I want you to see is it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. In the the King James, it has your seed, meaning the Savior will come through the line of man. And he shall bruise your head. Satan will... Jesus will bruise the head of Satan. If you crush the head, you can't live. Satan can bruise his heel. He he did that at the death of Jesus, and he thought he won. But ultimately, Jesus crushed the head of Satan. Now, up to this point, we looked at four prophecies in the book of Isaiah. In total, there are over 400 prophecies of the coming of Jesus. The majority of the prophecies were of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Um, and the remaining is of his second coming. 
And this second coming is the, the glorious return of Jesus to take his people to home, to heaven, in their final judgment of Satan and evil. So what was set up in Genesis by man partaking of the fruit when God told him not to, evil came in, and we still live in that age. If you don't believe there's evil, just turn on the news and look around us. So, then, because of all this evil, Jesus will come back to judge all of this, and as um, Christians, we will live with him forevermore. So that's kind of the background of uh, the prophecies and what's going on in the Bible. And so what are the prophecies specifically here in Isaiah? I'm going to look at the first three verses, 17 through 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So that is just um, a prophecy, a quick glimpse of what heaven's going to be. A new heaven, a new earth. There's not going to be any crying. Um, There's going to be rejoicing. You're not going to remember the old things. We're not going to remember the in-between. We're not going to remember our groaning and all the things that we um, live with day to day. We will be with Jesus face to face. So what's this glimpse that Isaiah gave us? We need to go to jump to Revelation 21. And this gives us a more detailed um, account of what's going to happen. So let's go to Revelation 21. And I'm actually, um, I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I'm going to jump down to Revelation 21, verse 22. And then a little bit of 23. And this will give us a glimpse of what heaven truly is. Revelation chapter 21, verse starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's what was just promised in Isaiah. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. I don't know about you, but that does... Get me going a little bit. That's exciting to know that there will be no more death. I will have no more tears. Um, We will be able to commune with God face to face. Ever since the fall, man has not been able to commune with God and live. 
But we will be able to commune with God face to face, it tells us here. A little more glimpse. Start, jump down to Revelation 21, starting in verse 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. So, when God called Israel, you know, he commanded them to make a tabernacle, and that's where God physically dwelt. And then when they became a nation, and we had the... the, the, um, the tabernacle or the um, uh, well, the temple, Solomon's temple. That's where God physically dwelt. And it's still important to the Jewish nation. And we also read in the New Testament, we are the temple of, of God because Christ can now live in us. But in the new Jerusalem, there is no temple because as Christ lives in us, Christ will live among us, so there is no need for a temple. It says there's no light or of the moon, light of the sun, because God himself is the light, so it's not needed. So here we get a glimpse. No more crying, no more death. Um, we can commune with God. God has the light. Um, it's going to be a beautiful thing. And then finally, we need to look at, because... God made paradise in Genesis. We lost it. He is going to reestablish that paradise. And we see that in Revelation, the next chapter, 22, starting with verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Did you catch that? God restores the tree of life. The tree of life that gave Adam and Eve eternal life, that he took away when man sinned, will be in the new Jerusalem. And that's why there will be no death, because we have full access to the tree of life. So God will restore the paradise, and once again, there will be no more death, no more sorrow. And that is something to look forward to. So that was Isaiah um, 17 through 19. Let's go back to Isaiah, and I'm going to read 20 through 23, the next section. No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." 
They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessing of the Lord and their descendants with them. So what's, what's Isaiah telling us here? Well, this, as you can tell, is pretty much poetic language. and would make sense for the audience of their time. Um, they'll build houses and eat of their own fruit. No Nations will no longer displace Israel. So I need to give a quick history of Israel. So um, even... I'm going to have to... To make all this make sense, everything in the in-between, as we read, God, God created Adam and Eve. Adam sinned. Adam had two children, Cain and Abel. And Cain murdered Abel because when they gave their sacrifices to God, Abel did it out of faith, and Cain did not. God wants faith. That's what saves us. God wants us to have faith. Since there was a prophecy that the seed would come through man, and Cain just killed the man it was going to come through, well, we, i got to go back to Genesis and read this. Because this is how it all fits together. Cain and Abel... So after Cain slew Abel, and the prophecy could not be fulfilled because it was to come from the seed of Adam or through his, through his descendants, and Cain murdered, he's no longer um, able to do that. But God always has a plan. Just remember that. He always has a, a remnant. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, And his name is Seth. God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So a couple things I want you to notice. That since Cain killed Abel and couldn't pass the seed along, God gave them another child. And then the other thing it says... People began to call upon the name of the Lord. God has always had people who worshipped worshipped Him. Man produced, grew, nations grew. But there was a problem, and that's why we have the flood. The climate, the spiritual climate at the flood, God's Word says that every man's intent of his heart was wicked. Every man was wicked. Just think at what the world would be. The worst of the worst that we see in, in man, a Hitler. Everybody was like that, except for Noah. So God wiped everybody out to keep the lineage of Christ open through Noah. See, there's a, a pattern or a progression throughout Scripture. After that, we're going to fast forward to Abraham. People were still calling upon the name of the Lord, and Abraham was one of those. And God called Abram and said, leave your family, leave your country, and I will make you a nation. And we know Abraham is the father of Israel. Um, 
Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had the 12 sons or the patriarchs. God sent them to Egypt. A fam- 12 families came out a nation of several million people. Um, and they were to do one thing throughout Scripture. They were to worship God and tell other people about God and have them worship. They didn't do that very well. And that's why they were always being attacked by other nations. When they came out of Egypt, um, he sent them to the promised land. We know all these stories. But they would follow God for a while, and then they would fall back into sin, and God would send other nations to punish them. That's why they couldn't... um, That's why they couldn't eat their own, the fruit of their own vines. That's why they could not live in their own houses. So it makes more sense when we read these things. They shall build houses and inhabit them. Because for centuries, they would build houses and other people, other nations would come and and take them over. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. They would come and other nations would take all their their crops. So, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. So, this is poetic language. All these things from Israel's past is no longer going to, to plague them. With this new Jerusalem, this heaven. So, now finally... Um, I need to continue the story of Israel. They had, after the prophecies of Jesus coming, then Jesus was born. And all these years, they would fall back into to sin. And then they would repent. But they'd done that so many times, God said, enough. And he sent his son, Jesus, to show people the way back to God. And that's where we, or what the Bible calls Gentiles, come in. He has, God has set aside Israel and has allowed Gentiles to worship him. And that's what is, what is the church. Now, we are in this in-between time until what the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. When the time of the Gentiles is ended, that's when Jesus will come back. That's where we get all the rapture, the, the um, tribulation. We don't know when that is. But at the consummation of time, and we'll look at some of these, God brings together all his remnant of Israel, all true believers in Jesus through the church, and we will be one family in heaven with God. So, that's why um, I needed to go over that to make sense of why nations were, were taking their homes, why nations was taking their, and what is going to come. So then the last section we're going to look at, starting with 24 and 25. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. Well, what's that supposed to mean? Actually, we need to go back to Isaiah at the beginning of the chapter. 65.12, keep in mind that they're always in this cycle of sin, repentance, sin, repentance. 
Isaiah chapter 65, verse 12 says, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But what you did was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. This is back to God was always calling Israel. And when he would call them, they wouldn't answer God. He would send a nation, put pressure on them, then they would repent. But for years, because I called, you did not answer. This time will go go away. When we look at verse 24 then, that's what it means. Before Before they call, I will answer. God is going to do the initiation. He will answer them. While they are speaking, I will hear. So once again, the nation of Israel will be God's. And God does that. He takes away the sin where they are always backsliding. So their cycle of idolatry, returning to the Lord, will be over. God would call his people, but they would not listen. God would send enemy nations to defeat Israel, then they would return to God. This cycle will be broken in heaven. And that's what he means, before they call, I will answer. And then finally, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Well, as we said before, there will be no more death. And we see that, again, more poetic language. Today, what would happen if you put a wolf in a sheep pen? There's going to be carnage. You're going to see blood. But in, in heaven, when there's no more death, that no more death includes death of animals, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. So that curse on the land is going to be lifted. The curse on mankind is going to be lifted. But he puts this little verse in here. And dust shall be the serpent's food. The curse on Satan will not be lifted. All of mankind will be in a right relationship with God. We're not in that right relationship with God in present because Satan um, has influences us in his evil. We see here that death will be gone, everything restored, except for Satan. There will be no more Satan. And that is part of the final judgment. Um, So, Satan doesn't have a place in the new heaven and new earth. And this is great news for us. But it may not be good news if you're not in Christ. So what does that mean? And actually, the new heaven and the new earth comes after the final day of judgment. And as I said... We, we looked at the new heaven and earth in, in, Genesis, or in, in Revelation. We started in Genesis, saw what God was doing throughout the years, always having a remnant, always having his seed of Christ to be able to come. And then the final judgment of evil, and we see that in Revelation 20. And we need to look at that. Revelation 20, verse 11. And this is the judgment right before the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, 
and no place was found for him. I'll just stop and say the one of the great white throne and he who sitteth on it, that is Jesus. And from his presence the earth and sky fled away. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, standing before Jesus, and books, plural, that is important, books were opened. Then another book, book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now I said it's important that there's plural books. They will be judged according to every deed that they did. And for the evil, plural, because there's a lot of evil. They've done a lot of evil deeds. And so there will be many books opened. And God will show them what they had done and why they deserve to be in death in Hades, the second death. But, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, I did not type enough. I'm going to have to go there myself. Uh, let's see, starting at 15. 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Then another, okay, I guess it is in there. Just got a little confused. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So, if you're in the book of life, and that's singular, only thing in the book of life is your name, if you believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Because when you come to Christ, every one of your sin is blotted out. The Bible says it is from the east to the west, as your sin will be separated. So what are we to do? That is great news for for a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, today, let today be the day that you you are. And as we talked about what is the gospel, throughout here, when when sin entered the world, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Everybody in here is a sinner. The only difference between a sinner and a Christian is we know that we deserve death. We know that I have sinned against God. And the wages of sin is death, as the Bible tells us. But life is through Christ. When he got on the cross, he willfully took every one of my sins and took it to the grave with him. And if I have faith in that, I'm written in the book of life. Now, if you're not written in the book of life, I don't want you to do it because I want to escape hell. That is not the reason. I want you to consider it if you're not a Christian because... Everything we looked at, the coming joy, the coming peace, um, the the coming rest, all that is fulfilled in Christ. Yes, ultimately, I don't want you to go to hell, but I also want you to be able to enjoy peace and comfort 
and joy and rest this side of the cross. So, if you're not found in the, in the book of life, don't go any further without accepting Jesus so you can be found in the book of life. But for us who are in the book of life, how should we act? What are we to do? And there's a couple scriptures that I'll, I'll tell you in closing. If you're in the book of, act, in the book of life, first I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. That's Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, we need to have acceptable worship. And what is acceptable worship? And we need to have that with reverence and awe. Well, Philippians... 2.9 says, and this is part of our acceptable worship. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Well, first, our acceptable worship is through Jesus. And at the great white throne, judgment, what I talked about, all the dead, here's a foretaste in Philippians, that the name of Jesus should bow in heaven, those who have died and gone before us, on earth, those who are alive when Jesus comes back, and under the earth, those who have been set aside for hell. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The songs we sang this morning, I don't know if you noticed, but the first two talked about bowing to Jesus. One day at the throne, a great white throne judgment, every person ever born throughout the world since Adam will bow to Jesus. The question is, will you bow to him this side of eternity? Or if not, you will bow to him and be eternity in hell. So that's acceptable worship, is accepting or worshiping God through Jesus. And then finally, I'd like to go back to Isaiah. And if we read, we just read in chapter 65, but if we read on to 66, Isaiah gives us a hint how to worship, have acceptable worship. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Just as Hebrews said that God is a consuming fire and we need to worship him with reverence and awe, that's what Isaiah tells us too. He who is humble and and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Well, the only way to tremble at his word is to know what his word says. And his words are what he says will come true. Again, we, we've been in prophecy. And um, all the prophecies up to his second coming has come true in Jesus Christ. So I know the rest will come through true also. And I can tremble at that. 
He who has a humble and contrite spirit. Well, humble, you need to humble yourself because I know that I'm a sinner. If I shake my fist at God, I don't need you. That's not humble. That's being contrite in spirit. That goes all the way back to Genesis. That's why Cain's sacrifice was acceptable. Because he was humble and contrite in spirit. And Cain wasn't. And Cain got upset and slew his brother Abel. So that, has, that is the pattern God has always used. To come through to him through humble and contrite spirit. Believe in his words. Tremble at his words. Read his words to know what they are. And to enter that relationship, this side of the cross, through Jesus. Do that and you will be in the Lamb's book of life.